Welcome to the Joshua Project Podcast. Hey, we're a little late in this week's recording, but hey, here we are. It's not a science, it's not a rule. Joshua Project Podcast with friends. And today, we have an oldie but a goodie, Kevin Wagner. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, well, when we first turned on the, the computer screen today, I said, what's up, Kelly Slater? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, who's Kelly Slater? <laughs> he said, I'm too old school. I'm more like Tom Curran. Yeah, I did say that, actually. <laughs> and so that's hilarious if you surf and you know who those people are. But uh, if you're just tuning in and you're like, I have no idea who those people yeah. are. They're two yeah. of the best surfers to ever walk the face of the earth. So, yeah, funny. Well, hey, Kevin, there's some people who, who don't know about the great Kevin Wagner. Man, give us a snapshot of who Kevin Wagner is. Uh, father of two boys, Caleb and Connor, um, 24 and 30, uh, 31, in fact, uh, married to, uh, Brooke Wagner. We got married five years ago. In fact, you were our officiating pastor. Today. Uh, today, in fact, is our anniversary. That's right. Um, we got married in South Carolina. And uh, in doing so, we ended up purchasing a home here. In fact, we closed on the home the same uh, week that we got married. Uh, our, it's not our main residence, but it's a, a, a beach house. So uh, because of the coronavirus quarantined, uh, we are here in beautiful South Carolina, enjoying the sun, playing, playing a little golf, going to the beach, um, spend a lot of time together. But uh, so 53, married, two boys, um, born in Texas, raised in Texas half my life, uh, high school, college, et cetera there. Um, then moved to uh, Southern California uh, a few years after that, lived in Southern California for quite some time, where in fact I met um, Bryce. Right. And was there until about uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, and moved to Col uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, <clears throat> kind of a strange situation, but moved there um, in a relationship with someone. It ended up not working out, but God's got better plans than Kevin Wagner. And he put Brooke in my life and uh, one of the best things that's ever happened to me. So... Uh, that's the thumbnail sketch of Kevin Wagner. Retired. I retired a couple of years back, had a successful business career for years and was able to retire a little bit early. Very happy about that. And as we're getting older and tired more often, I'm very appreciative by the fact I don't have to get up super early anymore, but uh, I still find myself getting up early anyway. But that's, that's kind of a snapshot of me. Hey, so remind me uh, a little bit. Take me back to when you had moved to California and how we met. So I was working for a company, a Texas-based company, uh, doing national sales for them, traveling a tremendous amount, and had hired a, a guy in Southern California, but he was pretty green, needed a lot of energy and effort on my part, um, more so than you know other people. So I said, never lived in San Diego. I, I surfed my whole life. That's kind of like the epicenter of surfing, and I said, kill two birds with one stone. And uh, that's how I ended up in Southern California. Now, how I met you was, uh, again, successful guy, 
traveling a lot, but really a hole in my soul was missing something. I didn't know what I was missing. Um, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so got back from a business trip one evening, sitting out on my back patio, looking out over the ocean. It was beautiful. And um, I was like, what am I doing? I mean, I am completely unhappy. Mm. Uh, very much of a void in my life. But successful, but like business. Financially. Successful financially. financially. Yeah, and I had previously been married. So I had a failed marriage. Um, my children were living in Texas uh, at that time, back with their mother. And, um, you know, it was, it was a solitary kind of life. I wasn't really dating anybody. It was just work, 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 work all the time. I'd achieved that, that financial success, but really had a void in my life and mm. couldn't understand what it was. And I tried lots of different things to kind of fill that void. Yeah. Uh, you know, alcohol and uh, spending and travel and girls and all that, you know, typical secular stuff with zero um, effect. So came in from a business trip on a Saturday night, was really like, what am I doing? This sucks, man, all by myself. This beautiful city, beautiful weather, and uh, decided that, which is strange, but decided that maybe I should go to church. Now, I had a very negative connotation of religion and God. In fact, I wanted nothing to do with them because um, my parents were Jehovah Witness, and I was actually raised a Jehovah Witness, left that organization when I was very young, left home. And so I had, you know, I, I had very negative thoughts of religion and God and because the only thing it ever did in my life was cause pain. So um, it was a little strange that I felt this tug to maybe go to church because definitely not what I would normally have done. It would have been, let's go have some drinks. Let's go smoke a cigar. Let's go play golf. Let's go do something. And uh, so looked up in the phone book, uh, churches. And there was hundreds of churches in San Diego. Okay, had so no idea. That, that makes you sound really old. You looked it up in a phone book. Yeah. Like, we have to appreciate this, what you just said right now. It wasn't like you picked up your phone and you, like, Googled a church. You looked it up in a phone book. Well, at that point, we were still using Motorola flip phones. So uh, 2005. It was before that. I think, right? I think it was before 2005. Pretty darn close to that. Close, close to that. Plus or minus. Um, yeah, so um, anyway, I was looking through these churches. They all had Pentecostal and Baptist and Catholic and non-denominational. I had zero idea which one to pick. So maybe in a guy who surfed, I picked one that had a wave in the, uh, in the ad. It was cool looking, cool looking ad. North Coast Cavalry Chapel. So I decided, I looked, I looked him up, decided uh, I would go Sunday morning to church. Hadn't been to church uh, in years, years. And so did the proper thing, put on my coat and tie, got all dressed up. Jehovah Witness of you. Yeah, or Baptist, or a lot, a lot what a lot of people, you know, prototypically think of when they think of going to church. Right. So I showed up at this, uh, turned out to be a, an enormous church when I got there, hundreds and hundreds of people everybody's in board shorts and t-shirts and some people dressed up, but everybody over 60 at that point was dressed. Everybody else was pretty casual. And of course I was younger then. And 
a couple of people were like, hey, good to see you. Are you speaking today? And of course, I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so sat in the back. And um, Mark Foreman, uh, who's the pastor, uh, I swear to you, Bryce, I could have sworn he was talking directly to me the entire time. It was, it was very surreal. And uh, afterwards, Adam Statmiller came up, introduced himself to me, uh, asked me you know, who I was, what I was doing, you know, the typical stuff, uh, at which point he said, hey, man, you'd fit right in a 30-40 group. Um, let me introduce you to B-Nug. And that's when I met Bryce. The rest is history. Yeah, so that's a pretty wild story, man. There's so much to just digest from that story. You know, it was the same thing uh, the very first time I went to North Coast Calvary Chapel. This is back when they were in the Rouse parking lot, and yeah. um, or I should say shopping center. Yeah, yeah. And I had <clears throat> left a church where I kind of came back to Christ at. And I just didn't like uh, the closing remarks that the pastor had said. He had said, if you're not tithing, we need your seat. And I felt this like guilt and shame. I was tithing to this church, but I look like to this mom and this daughter sitting next to me for all I know, they're single and on welfare. And it just bugged me, man. And like what people may or may not know that you and I have very similar stories in the fact that I was raised Jehovah. Um, yeah. I, I spent 10 years uh, in, in a life of debauchery because I, I wanted nothing to do with religion. Hey, to be honest with you, I still want nothing to do with religion. Yeah. But that just bugged me. And so I stopped going to church and then I was hanging out talking to my friend Julia one day and she says, hey, my parents go to a really cool church. Yeah. You should come with me some Sunday. And I was like, ah, okay. I, I liked my friend Julia and so I trusted her. And yeah. I went to North Coast. How bad could it be? I mean, what are they going to do? It's not, it's simple. He's going to get up and a couple of thousand of these and then you go home. Right. 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 Maybe, maybe. I think that there was a tug on my heart, kind of like you were saying too, even as you looked into the phone book, you're like, it's really weird. Like that we have this God shaped hole in our heart. Yeah. We're going to fill it with something. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes it takes us a little bit longer to realize what it is that we need is actually God, uh, not alcohol or drugs or women. And so I went and would you believe the very first sermon I ever heard Mark Foreman preach about um, was on tithing. And I was like, are you kidding me, man? I was like going to get up and just walk out and wait for my friend and her family at the end but i was i was intrigued i told this story to mark Foreman. i go but i was intrigued at the way this pastor said god i was like am, am, have i been mispronouncing god this whole time because he kept saying god and he, he really captured me with the way he spoke and when he talked about tithing i was like that's it that's exactly how i feel like it, it comes from the heart and it comes from obedience and not obligation and give me your money because we need to keep the lights on. And, and I was struck with Mark Foreman and we attended that church for a number of years. And in fact, that's where you and I became friends is through the Joshua project. We were the Guinea pigs of 2006, the very first Joshua project. And the amazing thing about that, and it's not really the amazing thing, but the unique and, and 
interesting thing about the Joshua Project. That was 2006. So here we are 14 years later and we've remained the greatest of friends. Yeah. Speak a little bit about that in your life. Um, as, as you've experienced these highs and these lows, um, the successes and the struggles in life, yeah. what has the Joshua Project brought to you in, in regards to structure and friendship? Well, I had no reference on really what the Joshua Project was about. I had no real concept of what Adam was trying to achieve initially. Uh, but for me, what it was, was fellowship. And I knew that I couldn't hang out with people, not that I couldn't, not that I didn't remain friends with people who weren't, um, air, air finger quotes, Christians, but I knew that I needed to hang out with a little better class of people. Let, let me, let me say that. Uh, somebody who was going to encourage me instead of talking about sports or surfing or drinking or girls or whatever. Yeah. So, um, for me, it was a it was a way to fellowship, and I was so hunger. I was just hungry for uh, information, and I remember Adam because I was asking questions all the time. In fact, you were doing a Bible study at your at your house on I think Tuesdays, and I would ask questions the entire Bible study because I was just thirsting to understand. So for me, the Joshua Project um, was a way just to feed me and to hang out with my buddies and we went snowboarding and we got, we got together. We, we, we had good times together, but it was, it was all um, kind of focused and circled around uh, seeking God. So that was my experience with it. And of course I, I learned so much more leadership and being an example and being a real man and what that means. And um, that's kind of what I, what I took from it. If, if that's in fact what you're looking for. Well, I'm just, I'm amazed. Um, that, I mean, we had what, like nine guys that went through the very first Joshua project yeah, in 2006. Right. And I would say, um, that I am still friends with every single one of those people. Now, some, some of them, you and I, we, we hang out a little bit more. Um, some of them, we stay in contact via phone call every six or nine months. Um, yeah. and some of them were casual friends via social media, but every single one of those guys, has become somebody in my life who I believe um, if I called up right now, they would be willing to be there for me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And what's kind of cool about that too is they're spread across the United States. So if I wanted to go to Missouri right now, I can call up my boy Walt Bateman. And yeah. I know that, it, hey man, worst case scenario, he'd throw a tent up in his yard for me. And if I needed to go to the East Coast, and even beyond just 2006, the, the men that have graduated through this project, I know I can call Joe Madrin up on the East Coast and I can call Mark Salaska up in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, Mark was with us on, uh, he was first one, right? What Mark right. with us? He was with right. us. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I've really have admired about the Joshua Project. I mean, we've graduated over 100 men in there now. We're getting ready to graduate the first four guys ever in Montana through the Joshua Project. Um, and so that's really exciting. Um, now, through the years, um, more recently, even like in the last year, you've experienced a major health crisis. 
And so explain to me a little bit about, about that crisis and how your faith in God helped carry you through that. Uh, three years ago, went in, <clears throat> excuse me, just turned 50. And, uh, you know, all the guys that are on here who aren't 50, uh, we'll send you guys in this, but, uh, you know, you go in for your, I went in for my annual physical, checked up, every, you know, make sure I was healthy. And uh, my first colonoscopy, just make sure everything intestinally is working well. And, you know, typical stuff every guy has to go through. Did my first colonoscopy and they found stage four colon cancer, which, you know, I'm a, I was a healthy guy. I was always very active. I always took care of myself. So it really kind of puts things, uh, your whole life and thinking, it changes you literally the second he says cancer. My whole thought process changed because uh, even though I had experienced some great things in life, I didn't want it to end. I had a new wife. Um, we were enjoying our time together. I just retired. So I didn't want my life to, to end like that. So what my focus became uh, instantaneously was God. Um, I knew where I stood with God. I knew where I'm go I know where I'm going when uh, my life's done here on earth, but uh, I felt the need to have somebody, I needed, I needed the need to be comforted and not from a doctor or not even from my wife or not from friends, but from a much higher being of my father. So um, <clears throat> went through a surgery, was fortunate enough to do a lot of prayer, was fortunate enough to make it through the surgery at the, the end of that year and all cancer was gone, uh, praise God. And so, you know, I'm healthy again. I had another uh, little, had a blockage um, last, last November and the valves again and um, gallbladder removed. So that was a pretty 10, another 10 days in the hospital, not super fun. Uh, not a great way if you're ever looking to lean up to do that because you lose a lot of weight very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but back to my normal healthy self. And uh, what it has done, uh, the health issues, has strengthened uh, my resolve to continue to seek God, uh, but it's also strengthened my wife's resolve to do the same and to continue to count on him, especially in those times of trouble. Yeah, there's a power of prayer that is very real in regards to that. We have a prayer box here at the church. And I remember three years ago, man, I wrote one in there. Father God, heal my friend Kevin of his yeah. cancer. Heal him. And whenever we have answered prayers, we draw a big heart on him. It's still on the bulletin board in the office. And I love walking by that and just remembering God's faithfulness. Well, I lived, and I say to this day, by your stripes, we are healed. Um, and his word, you know, just like it says, it comes down from heaven like the rain, and it won't come down without doing what it's supposed to do. So I knew that, um, I, I, I'm not going to say I knew. I, I was scared. I, I doubted. I was concerned. But I felt in my heart I was going to be okay. Uh, one way or another, whatever that meant, whether it meant that, I was no longer here or whether it meant that I, I knew I would be okay. So yeah, he's, uh, it's amazing. Hey, well, so let's wrap this up. Um, tell me, uh, don't tell me, tell someone who might be listening, who hasn't been through the Joshua project. Um, why, why should they consider 
going through the Joshua project? Well, knowledge is always a good thing. And I learned a lot, not only biblical knowledge, but also knowledge on really how to be a man, how to be a leader. You know, the reason it's called the Joshua Project is specifically for that reason. And so if you're considering it, if you're, you know, weighing the option of, well, I only have so much time, there's very powerful, um, for me, there was very, very powerful things in fellowshipping with the right kind of people, the right kind of guys, godly men who are also seeking the same thing. So, you know, if in doubt, just do it. hundred percent. I love that. Um, when I started the Joshua project in 2006 with you and these seven other guys, I had no idea that that would be a launching pad for me. I knew I loved God's word. I knew that I always wanted to, you know, occasionally speak. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Adam Statmiller ran that for two more years. And then there was two years where it didn't run. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened. And when my son was born and the Statmillers brought us over a meal, I had asked Adam on my front porch um, down on Freeman Street in Oceanside. Hey, Adam, whatever happened to the Joshua Project? And he says, well, that's funny you should ask. I think you should run it. And I was like, no, that's not why I'm asking. It was, it was, uh, it was instrumental in my life in keeping my marriage together and helping me walk as a man of God, I was just interested in what had happened. And so I spent some time in prayer and indeed I started running it. Um, and we ran it for two or three years. And with the help of some amazing friends, I, I felt like God say, Hey, this is not a garage band ministry, man. I need you to turn this into a nonprofit. And so we did, uh, we turned it into a nonprofit and here we are running, uh, just as strong as ever. Um, I am no longer a part of the project. I don't hold the title. I'm not the president. I'm not the secretary. I'm just a pastor in little old Montana carrying on the legacy. And I'm excited to see what comes of the Joshua Project because I've seen so much good, not just come into men's lives, but to come into marriages, to come into families, and to see these leaders rise up within the church. Yeah. I think now more than ever, now more than ever, we need men to step up and become leaders in the church. Like yeah. ain't no one got to ask you to take the trash out right. because you can see the trash can overflowing at church. You don't need to be on a team. You yeah. just get it done. And I'm excited for what God has in store for you and your life and your marriage that we're celebrating today. It was so cool to look back at Facebook memories and uh, see my wife and I all dressed up. And that was one of the most favorite memories of my life for sure. Um, but also to see what happens um, in our own lives personally and here at the church in Montana. So I was thinking, man, do you know what? I don't know how we pulled this off, but dude, we need like, a golf, a JP golf fundraiser. I'm down. So we got to set that up. You're at Kiowa Island, man. Oh, man. Yeah, one of the five top hardest courses in the world. <laughs> I was looking at a, a picture today, and it was a picture of you and me on the golf course, and uh, it was talking about Kiwa Island and how we were playing there and how hard of a course it was. And I said my hand wedge was working really well. <laughs> in other words, I just picked my ball up and throw it. Because that was a tough course. 
Very tough course. Beautiful course, too. Well, hey, friends, that's the Joshua Project wrap-up for this week. And we want to get you on the Joshua Project. So get a hold of us. Comment in the comment section. Or if you know how to hit me up, hit me up. Because, man, it's so cool to hear just from a wide range of people. And not just men. I think that, uh, you know, the Joshua Project, we've actually graduated women through their own project of sorts and i'd love to have you guys on as a guest because i love hearing from you i love even despite the distance and the time how god continues to work in our life so my friends be well and love one another peace